This show is brought to you by the North Face. Now, the North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they are the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Hi there everyone, Lisa Tamati here from Pushing the Limits and welcome to the show once again. It's an absolute privilege to have you join me again. I really appreciate your loyalty to the show. And this week I have a doctor all the way from San Francisco. Now this is one of the... Uh, uh, one of the world's leading experts, I would say, in this area of medicine called hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Now, Dr. Scott Sher is an integrative hyperbaric physician, and he very, very kindly has given me some time today to share with you what hyperbaric medicine is, uh, all about it. Now, some of you who know my story and have followed my podcast and, uh, for a while will know that I have had experience in this area with my mum, who had an aneurysm, and hyperbaric was really the, the the catalyst for her recovery or I, I you know I, I truly believe that she wouldn't probably be around without it so I'm very very big advocate for this therapy and actually have a clinic here and um, you know a mild hyperbaric clinic um, and Dr. Scott Shear is going to explain it a whole lot better than I ever could <laughs> so welcome to the show Dr. Scott wonderful to have you I'm happy to be here thanks yes yeah, San Francisco is beautiful this time of year a little bit Warmer, I believe, than uh, than your neck of the woods. Very much so. It's blooming cold here. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't ever been to San Francisco, but that's definitely on my to-do list. Well, they so. say that the uh, the coldest summer you've ever spent will be in San Francisco. So just so you know, <laughs> it tends to be colder in the city, but I'm I'm in the suburbs where it's nice and sunny. So no, it's very nice today. Probably about what twenty eight degrees centigrade, probably oh, somewhere around there. They're pretty. But yes, thanks for having me, and I'm, I'm happy uh, that we are connecting, and you told me your story offline, and it's a beautiful example of what hyperbaric therapy can do, and, and I talk to patients and, and physicians and clinics across the world, and I just tell them, look, it's really simple, 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 simple. It's basically healing wounds from the inside out, and it, it's doing it three ways. It's reversing hypoxia, or low oxygen state. It's decreasing inflammation and it's fighting infection. And as a result of those three things, you get the body to heal. You stimulate the, own body, the body's own processes of healing. And in some, time, in, in some cases, you can actually heal better than the body can on its own. Other times, you just make it faster. 
The latter scenario is like your elite athletes, for example, that want to heal from an injury faster. Hyperbaric therapy is going to allow them to heal faster. It's going to be anywhere between 30% to 70% faster, depending on the injury. Anything from an ACL tear to a hip replacement to, uh, to a heart surgery, I mean, you name it, it's going to be a significant proportion of time less that you need to spend recovering. So that's a really good part. But sometimes when the body can't do all it can do, or it only go, can go so far, like in your mom's case, or in others that have strokes, or they've had heart attacks, or if they've had injuries that haven't fully healed, traumatic brain injuries, patients with uh, reflex sympathetic dystrophy, or even some of the neurodegenerative diseases, there's a lot of inflammation like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, patients with MS, uh, patients that have uh, uh, any number of other uh, conditions, hyperbaric therapy can stimulate the body to heal faster than it can on its own. Fantastic. So what is the mechanism? So we're talking oxygen and we're talking pressure. Can you explain how those two mechanisms work and, and sure. why they're beneficial? We've got, we've got pressure and we've got oxygen already. Why, why, the, why the difference? Well, you, that's actually a pretty beautiful way of starting the explanation. It's, it is just the combination of increased inspired oxygen. It's the amount of oxygen we breathe in. So at, at sea level, no matter if you're in New Zealand or San Francisco, it's still 21% oxygen and sea level that we're all breathing now. In a hyperbaric chamber, what we mostly do is increase that oxygen inspiratory percentage to about 100%, somewhere between 90 and 100%. And then we increase the atmospheric pressure that's in the chamber that you're in. So we increase atmospheric pressure by increasing the amount of pressure simulated in the chamber. And that pressure is what's actually happening to you or anybody if they're underwater. So as soon as you go underwater, that pressure is heavy. Most of us have been in water especially I'm sure like crazy rapids in New Zealand or something and uh, gone under by accident um, or you've been swimming at the beach or even in a pool. As soon as you go underwater, all the water above you is very heavy. You don't feel it because you're weightless in the water, but it's, if you picked it up with your hands in a bucket, it would be very heavy. That heaviness, that density is what manifests as pressure on the body. And right. so the more water you have above you, you look up, the more pressure you have on your body, or if you're a submarine, the more pressure on a submarine, for example. So what you're doing in a hyperbaric chamber is you're simulating that increased atmospheric pressure to some degree and combining it with increased atmospheric oxygen that you're inspired. And as a combination of the two, because of the pressure, you can drive more oxygen into the body. Without that pressure, no matter how much oxygen you breathe on a face mask, 100%, 100 billion percent, it doesn't matter because it's only... Yeah it's only possible to get oxygen into circulation on the red blood cells if you have no pressure associated. But if there's pressure associated with the oxygen, then you can drive more oxygen into the plasma of the blood. We often talk about oxygen carrying capacity, Lisa. So oxygen carrying capacity is the amount of oxygen that we can get into the body and go to our tissues to, uh, to, to rev up our cells and make energy because oxygen is the final electron acceptor for ATP, to make ATP, basically, the, yep, energy, energy, yep. the batteries of our cells in the mitochondria. So the combination of the two increases your oxygen carrying capacity by increasing the amount of oxygen in the plasma or the liquid of our blood, not on the red blood cells, which are already saturated for most of us that have normal blood. Uh, normal. When we do an SBO2 measurement or, you know, at the hospital or whatever, we come out with 98% or something like that. So we, we're unable to take more up into the red blood cells. Right. How much more can we take up in the plasma of the, sure. of the 
So on a pulse oximeter, the ones you put on your finger, that's mm -hmm. going to measure how much saturation of red blood cells you have in your body, okay? Yep. After they go through your lungs and they get saturated with the oxygen that we're breathing. And SVO2 is a little bit different. That's a Swan-Gans catheter that they use in ICUs. That uh -huh. can measure the combination of, of oxygen saturation both in the red blood cells and in the plasma. Wow. Just to clear that up. But you don't want to float a swan in somebody like that's an ICU. We don't even do that anymore in the ICUs. Well, you can also, we can do these calculations though because of that, uh, that data. And so we're getting about 1,200% or more oxygen into circulation wow. using pressure. So at three ATA, three atmospheres absolute, which is the equivalent of 66 feet of seawater. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the meters, sorry. 20-something <laughs> meters, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, at that level, you can saturate so much oxygen into the body that you actually no longer need red blood cells to maintain your oxygen-carrying needs. Okay? Wow. And this is done therapeutically in patients that are Jehovah's Witness and don't want red blood cell transfusions. Also in patients that get severe trauma and lose a lot of blood very fast, you can stick them in a chamber and you can temporize them and, because you can saturate so much plasma with oxygen. So therapeutically, we don't typically go that deep. We typically go to 2 to 2.4 ATA um, at the most, which is 33 to 45 feet of seawater. Mm -hmm. But the potential is there to go deeper if we need to. If you've yep. had a dive injury or if you have a severe gas-forming organism that's causing an infection, that can significantly uh, be mitigated by going to the deeper pressures for sure. Because this medicine actually comes from the dive industry. So from divers who have the bins, um, right is where it's originally come from, isn't it? So that we, you, but we have, um, perhaps we can go back and explain there are three types of different uh, hyperbaric uh, facilities or, or chambers. Can you explain the difference sure. uh, between those? So I've got a mild hyperbaric uh, chamber or chambers, one that goes to 1.5, one that goes to 1.4. Mm -hmm. um, what are the implications for the for ones in the hospitals that go higher um, sure. as compared to the lower? Sure. So that's a good question. The first type of chamber that was developed was called the multi-place chamber, which are usually seen in hospitals, diving meccas, where you're treating some people that need to go to very deep pressures to, to treat dive injuries. So six, nine, 11 ATA. So you can do the math. It's, it's very, very deep. Yeah. And that's only used really for those really uh, sick divers that were building underneath the water, building tunnels uh, on yeah. oil rigs, etc. cetera. Uh, but the, the second type of chamber was developed, what's called a monoplace chamber. That's also a hard, so the multiplace is a steel chamber. The monoplace is either a steel or it's acrylic uh, plastic, acrylic glass even, uh, chamber that can go to about 3 ATA. Yep. And then the mild hyperbaric chambers can go anywhere between 1.3 to 1.7, depending on the country. In the yep. U.S., the mild ones go to 1.3. It, it sounds like in New Zealand, they can go a little bit deeper. So yep. the, the reason to use the different chambers really depends on the indication for hyperbaric therapy. In my experience, the mild hyperbaric chambers are best for neurologic indications mm -hmm. and for recovery types of indications. They're not as good for uh, peripheral wound healing, although they can help. Um, it just takes longer. They're not as good for wounds. Uh, they're not as good for, um, for infections, for example. Um, but the, the mild chambers can be used for patients with traumatic brain injuries. Uh, there's some data potentially in stroke. Uh, there's some data also on some of the other neurocognitive things like Alzheimer's, uh, cerebral palsy, um, autistic spectrum. Um, wow. so because there's been some data to support that 1.3 
even with compressed air, so meaning that you're not inspiring more oxygen, just inspiring the regular amount, 21%, but then pressurizing it, is even pressurizing more, uh, pressurizing air, the regular air at 1.3. It's still better than... Yeah, it's, it's going to increase the, in, the oxygen circulation in your body by about 45 to 46%. So, Which is a hell of a lot, you know, even at yeah. that. Um, but we're talking like, so for example, though, like at 1.5 ATA at 100% oxygen, you're getting about 600% more oxygen in circulation, okay? Wow. So if it's 47%, 46%, 1.3 ATA at regular atmospheric pressure, just breathing air at that level. So, yeah. uh, and the deeper you go, the more significant peripheral wound healing and infection uh, capabilities you have, really. Um, there is a, a big group in Tel Aviv that's done work at 2.0 for reverse aging, reju rejuvenation, uh, looking at new blood vessels growing in the brain, in the heart, in the, in the sexual organs, including the penis, for example. Um, that's <laughs> where they've had, they have penis MRIs now. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's, it's the millennium. You know, we can do anything these days. But um, anyway, so it's a good way to get business, right? You can show your friends your penile <laughs> MRI before and after hyperbaric therapy. So... <laughs> Uh, now, that's the biggest selling point I've ever heard. <laughs> with, and the reason why they did the study was on erectile dysfunction, actually. Right. And they, and they actually showed that hyperbaric therapy can improve erectile dysfunction in patients that were diabetics and had other ar arteriovascular disease, actually. So there was a reason for it. It wasn't just, you know, optics or uh, sexual performance. It was more you can reverse the aging process, which includes atherosclerosis, the hardening of arteries, the wow. difficulty of getting blood to various locations because hyperbaric therapy, along with what I said before, releases massive amounts of stem cells uh, and also releases or uh, releases hormones that are responsible for new blood vessel growth. So we are regrowing blood vessels in areas like the brain and the heart and the penis and other locations as well. Like, so your mom had an aneurysm, which likely led to like a stroke-like phenomenon. Yeah. You had an area of the brain that just wasn't getting enough blood flow. And then... Some of it was dead, but most of it was just not getting enough blood. And yes. so as a result of that, hyperbaric therapy increased the oxygen in that area that wasn't getting enough blood, stimulated new blood vessels to form, and all of a sudden she's now, like you said, she's like almost going back to work and she's driving yeah. and all this other amazing, amazing things that can happen. Time is brain, time is heart, time is injury. So the quicker you can get into the chamber, yeah. the better you're going to be. The longer yeah. it's been since you've had these injuries or incidences or whatever, the harder and the longer it's going to take to recover and the less complete it's likely going to be. So yeah, I often tell people- it was uh, three months before I could get her because she was still in the hospital, you know. And still we relatively quickly though. That, yeah, yeah, still relatively quickly. And then we had, you know, a period of time in the multi-place chamber where she was inspiring 100% oxygen. And then we had to go to the mile because that one, that facility was no longer available to us. Um, so, if we go back and look at, so there's an inflammatory response is better at, say, 2.0 and above atmospheres. Peripheral, uh, so outside of the brain and spinal cord, yes. Okay, so that's, um, so stem cell production and all that is better at, at the higher, but for brain injury, for, say, like the multiple sclerosis, autism, cerebral palsy, concussions, TBI, 1.3 to 1.5 is the, is the better. Yeah, we think that the sweet spot for the brain is somewhere between 1.3 and 2.0. The okay. challenge is knowing who is going to do best at those variable pressures. Uh, the answer is that we, we only know a little bit of this information. Uh, some of my colleagues like 
Paul Hartz, who we talked about briefly. And then the Israelis are doing the imaging to see where the brain has the more or the best increase in blood flow. Those are more difficult to do. So we often start slow and, uh, and we go as people seem to do. So we kind of go where the averages are. I often personally, if I have the choice, like to start at the, at the deeper pressure a little bit first, like 1.5 to 1.75 for most of brain indications. And then I can dial it back if we feel like it's too much. Um, it just depends on the person. It depends on how acute the injury is, for example. If the injury yeah. is more acute, we may want to go a little bit deeper to start off with because uh -huh. there's a lot of these uh, hormones and they're called cytokines and other factors, mm -hmm. inflammatory mediators that may do better with a little bit more pressure to start off with. The Israelis are just coming out with a study. Actually, sorry, the Chinese are coming out with a study. The Israelis did some work with them to help uh, to write it up. But it was on, I think it's going to be about 400 stroke patients is what I hear. Wow. And all getting hyperbaric therapy within a, a very short window after the strokes and having significant improvements. And they did 60 hyperbaric sessions for these people. So, um, but there's other data to support even three hyperbaric sessions after a severe traumatic brain injury at 1.5 atmospheres of pressure can improve mortality or decrease mortality by half, by 50%. That's insane. So why, doctor, is, is it not available in every single hospital and every ICU unit in the world? Why is it not a first-line defense? Is that because we haven't yet got the definitive proof? And the, or is it yeah, just... it's expensive to run these studies. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, the incentives are not in... In hyperbaric medicine, they're in pills, they're in, in interventions. Um, even in a socialized healthcare system, uh, the, the incentives aren't there as much, unfortunately. So uh, I think that's one of the major reasons, at least in the US, I can blame it on pharmaceutical companies that yeah. have the ear of our government. But I'm sure it's very similar in socialized healthcare systems as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a big problem because, I mean, I got a lot of criticism, for example, you know, just even talking about hyperbaric oxygen therapy on air on radio um for um just telling our story uh really because you know i, I was attacked by different doctors saying you haven't got proof you haven't got this you haven't got that um to me there was no other option for her for this right. situation right um, the results speak for themselves right um, she speaks for herself yeah, she can speak for herself, yes. which she couldn't do. Um, you know, uh, it, it's very, very frustrating um, as someone who looks outside the box all the time and, you know, as an athlete, as a, as a professional, you know, uh, endurance athlete for, for years, I was always looking for the extra edge, always looking to optimize performance. Yeah. So I was used to looking outside the square and I was also used to understanding that the body and the mind are capable of far more than what most people think. Um, and I find it very, very frustrating when you haven't got 60 years worth of clinical studies to prove it. And, and you yeah. guys actually have a hell of a lot of studies. Yeah, but I, yeah, I think you just made a good point, though, that I'd, I'd like to underscore. It's not just about hyperbaric therapy, okay? It's an integrative approach, and that's my approach. That's the approach that I think that it sounds like you did for your mom and that you have at your clinic. But you can't just... Do and the challenge with studies, by the way, is that you have to just do one thing because yeah. you do more than one thing that you don't know the thing that actually worked. And then the, yeah. the regular conventional community will say, Well, you don't know what worked, it's all bullshit, you know. Um, and so, <laughs> when they do these studies, they have to take out everything else and just do one thing. In my experience, the best results that I've had have been an integrative approach, and that's looking at what I call 
you know, it's my approach, my integrative HBOT approach. And that the first one is looking at foundational health, something that I call, uh, that was uh, coined by my, one of my mentors called health optimization medicine. Mm-hmm. Health optimization medicine is a program that's developed for doctors and practitioners to get certified in to get their patients a foundational approach to health, looking at cellular health, gut health, looking at food sensitivity. Wow. And so, and then other things as well, looking at evolution of biology and chronobiology and epigenetics and, and a bunch of other pillars, right? So it, that's, I think that's the big piece. The, like if you go into a chamber and, and look, if, if you just got an injury, then get in the chamber. Like that's what I tell people. But if it's been going on for a while, what's likely happened is that your body has tried to compensate. So looking at your vitamins, your minerals, your nutrients, your antioxidant levels, your toxin levels, um, your, your mineral, like all of that is extremely important. So that's my first piece. My second piece is once that is, is being addressed, the second piece is what other practitioners would be helpful to you. So for example, in somebody that had a stroke, you may want to think about you know, the usual stuff, speech, physical therapy, occupational therapy. You want to think about movement. You may want to think about exercise, like various other things to sort of retrain with the neuroplasticity. Um, after that, you're looking at technologies. You're looking at somebody that could potentially benefit from other technologies like neurofeedback, pulse electromagnetic field technologies, infrared saunas, cold thermogenesis. Um, man, I could, there's lots wow. of others that I could think of. Yeah. So then yeah. that's the next box. And then the last, yeah, the last box really is hyperbaric therapy, right? So then like that's kind of my four-pronged approach. And so you have those four pillars uh, for me, that obviously involve a lot of different things with each of them, yeah. but you yeah. need to tailor for each individual. So if it's an endurance athlete, you're like, okay, everybody should be health optimized. I, I said that. And then, then what other practitioners might be helpful? So I have a friend here. His name's Austin Einhorn. He runs a place called the Piros. I send everybody to him because he's like this movement guru, intuitive dude, right? And then I have others that I work on with endurance specifically or muscle training specifically. Um, and then then I think about, well, how can I use hyperbaric therapy as a compendium to that? Do they yep. want help with endurance? Do they want help with recovery? Do they want both? All of that will change my protocols, right? And so, and that's, and that's what I'm looking to do. And then, of course, neurofeedback and others as well. So, you know, it's fun because everybody's different. And this is, this is the wonderful thing that I can see slowly starting to take place in the world of, the, of, of health science and breakthroughs. And there seems to be a mixing slowly of the alternative, what was seen as alternative, in with, with, with progressive doctors like yourself who have gone, hang on, the, 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 tra- the straight traditional school medicine is very much inside that box uh, and is not looking left or right. These other things uh, can add their part to the puzzle Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's very much, I did it reverse with mum in the fact that she had absolutely nothing. So physical therapy and that was very limited and I couldn't, right. she had no memory, she had no sp- speech, she had no ability to even chew or, you know, anything. Uh, so I had to you know, get a basis to work with. And from then I took an absolute multi-pronged approach. And some of the things that I tried out with her were, you know, waste of time and money. Uh, a lot of the technologies and things that I did try out. But the combination of uh, the physical therapy combined with the, with the hyperbaric, combined with the diet, combined with the nutritional supplementation, the testing that I did. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I... But that, that integrative approach is the res- and that, the result that I've seen is is because of that entire approach. Right, nutrition is a big part too. I should say so. I want to make say make yeah. make a point there. I know you kind of mentioned it. I think a little bit, but like 
nutrition is also a big piece. So um, if people don't want to change their diet, no matter what happens in a chamber or what other integrative aspects that you approach with them, it's going to be at a significant uh, handicap because you're just not going to get the results that you'd like optimally. And I mean, I've talked to the Israelis about this. You have people going through rejuvenation protocols, getting massive amount of stem cell release, improved brain health, all of this. And they're going to be back if they don't change what they do. Right. So and some people are okay with that. Other people, you know, I, I would hope, I hope at least, I think one of the things that I have found is that once people start feeling better, they start to getting, they start getting more invested in their health, right? They start getting more invested in how they feel. And I think that's one of the, the gifts of, of hyperbaric medicine is that you can get people feeling better uh, quite quickly, actually, in a lot of cases, especially if it's an acute injury. And then all of a sudden, they're kind of ready to go. What's the next thing that they, that they can do to help yeah. them? It's getting that motivation, isn't it? And one of the interesting areas with hyperbaric is that, is that your, co your cognitive function, your ability to think better, clearer, uh, all of that is a part of this. So it actually can reverse brain aging from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, you're getting new blood vessels growing in the brain. I mean, after about 45, 50 years old in a regular person, so if you're a diabetic even earlier, um, or if you have chronic inflammatory disease, autoimmune disease, you're going to start losing blood vessels in your brain. An MRI, straight MRI of a brain of somebody 50, year olds, 50 years old and above will usually show something called non-ischemic changes. Uh, sorry, no, ischemia, small vessel ischemia. So basically what that means is that small vessels in the brain are starting to get flicked off. This is what we call senile dementia. We can't remember where we put our keys, but we can remember what we did 50 years ago. Yes. We can't remember where we were two minutes ago because the frontal lobe, the, the, the front of our brain, is, tends to be a place that loses blood vessels faster. The other area where we tend to lose blood vessels faster is, is someplace called the hippocampus, which yes. is where we actually build new memories, new neurons, and that slows down over time as well. We know hyperbaric therapy can regrow blood vessels in the hippocampus and in the frontal lobe specifically, and we know it can make new neurons in the hippocampus as well. Right, fantastic. So, is there a is there a um, if if we have optimum nutrition or optimum vitamins, like for example, I've heard that having vitamin C infusions combined with hyperbaric can be very powerful. Is that sort of thing? Does it increase the efficacy of of vitamins and nutrients when you have hyperbaric? Well, I think it depends on the situation. Uh, specifically for IV vitamin C, you have to understand why we're using IV vitamin C in a chamber, for example, right? So IV vitamin C, depending on the dose, usually it's given at a higher dose, is actually an oxidative stress on the body. And that, what that means is basically it causes, uh, it causes free radicals on the body, and those free radicals can be used to help fight infection. It also can be used to help fight cancer potentially as well. Hyperbaric mm -hmm. therapy is also... Uh, and oxidative stress. It's a stress in the body that causes more oxidative reactions, more, more of these free radicals to help the body rev, it, rev up its own natural antioxidant capacity. So in the case of somebody that has, uh, has a specific indication, you may or may not want to do that, right? So for in cancer, there may be some role to combine IV vitamin C and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. But in patients that have already a significant proportion of inflammation, uh, you have to be careful. So if you have chronic infections, for example, you can get into, into trouble if you're using high-dose IV vitamin C along with hyperbaric therapy. Um, to your point about uh, nutrition and hyperbaric therapy, I would say that you're growing new blood vessels. So whatever is in your bloodstream, whatever is in your stores of nutrients in your body, 
will be used better because you have more blood vessels to get there. But if you don't have the right vitamin, mineral, cofactor stores, you're not going to get the benefit, as much of a benefit. Now, if you're using IV vitamins at the same time as hyperbaric therapy, the blood vessels you do have are going to deliver more of those vitamins to those particular tissues. Um, but you know, there, I don't have a particular study to show you or tell you, but that's just sort of the natural idea of what's being carried in our blood vessels. Right. So if we're looking at something like um, cancer, for example, and the, I mean, that's a big, obviously, myriad of things. Um, is there any clinical studies being done in that direction? Um, I mean, I know that oxygen uh, doesn't, uh, bacteria often don't like oxygen or different germs don't like being in an oxygen-rich environment. I, I've done a lot of um, uh, altitude racing at altitude. Yeah. And I had uh, for a while uh, what they call a hypoxico training tent where I slept right. in this thing. And right. I, being a very extreme type person, I turned it up to 6,500 metres every night and slept in it and absolutely completely wiped out. <laughs> I ended up with a brain concussion um, from the hypoxia and... Um, also ended up with uh, bacteria in the body just going absolute wild. So every orifice was doing something horrible. Okay, um, yeah. yeah, because, you know, I was stupid. I went too fast, too quickly um, and ended up sensitizing myself. But it, it showed me what happens in the body when you don't have enough oxygen available. Right. Um, so when this, you know, happened to my mum, the, the, my brain started to go, well, what if we provide more oxygen? And, right. and then where I started to look into hyperbaric oxygen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important to, to make that distinction. Um, hyperbaric therapy can improve endurance, um, does it a different way. It doesn't increase your red blood cell mass. It does it by increasing your blood vascularization around your heart. So you can get more oxygen carrying capacity uh, because there are more blood vessels to get the oxygen too. So the heart just becomes more vascular and actually a little bit stronger as well as far as how it pumps. Um, altitude training is good for increasing the red blood cell mass. But like you yeah. said, there are risks of altitude training. And that is in, in hypoxic conditions, you don't have as much uh, infection killing capability, especially for, especially for bugs that, don't, that like low oxygen environments. And those typically are in your mouth. Uh, those typically are in your gut. Um, that You see those bacteria grow more in, in, um, in low oxygen environments. And one of the reasons why you're more susceptible to infections when you're on a plane, for example, on an airplane, is because you're at a pressurization of about 8,000 feet, or I guess about 2,000 meters or something like that, right? So wow. um, because of that, you're at higher risk for getting infections uh, than you would be at, at, at sea level. And so hyperbaric uh -huh. therapy is an anti-infective at the pressures that we use, usually deeper than 1.5 though. Um, if it's just a bug that doesn't like oxygen, you can have some of bug killing at the 1.5. But those that may like oxygen a little bit, they're called facultative anaerobes is the the long name for them. Basically, uh, staph is one of them, so staph aureus. Lyme is another. Uh -huh. um, those don't like high oxygen environments, but, but like, a, like a, a mild increase in oxygen is going to make them grow more. But oh. a deeper uh, pressure of oxygen with more oxygen kind of beating it down is, is going to make it you know, more susceptible to, to, to killing. So is there a danger then with um, treating someone at, say, the 1.5 if they've got certain types of bacteria? Um, if they have oxygen-rich uh, oxygen bacteria that, that are pathogenic or ones that are causing infection or, or disease, uh, I'm always careful because I have seen people get worse at the, the more milder pressures. 
if they have these bugs floating around. It's one of my pet peeves with the mild hyperbaric chamber business is that they say you can do everything a hard chamber does. And I just, in my experience, it just hasn't been the case. No, fact, yeah. You have to be very careful. Like they can be used very well and very significantly help people in the right situations, but you have to be careful that you know, at least in my mind, what those situations are. Absolutely. And there isn't a lot of uh, material around to, to, you know, to understand all of this. So in regards to the, the big C to cancer. Oh, is, cancer, right. Yeah. Is there any proof around it being helpful? At, at what pressures would it be helpful? Sure. I mean, I know, you know, we've all got to be very careful what we say. You can't go around claiming um, great things, yeah. but. Cancer and hyperbaric therapy, it's very, it's very simple. Cancer, hyperbaric therapy is not a treatment for cancer itself. It can be a synergistic treatment. There's some data that it can help with chemotherapy being more effective, with mm -hmm. radiation therapy being more effective. It can help from a cancer surgery and recovery. Um, it can also be combined with something like something called the ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. Some data in mice that the combination of hyperbaric therapy with the ketogenic diet can help uh, kill more cancer cells. It's not yeah. a cure for cancer, but it seems to be able to help kill more cancer cells. Um, now you combine that also with more conventional treatments is where things are going and we're having some, excuse me, and some exciting data to support the combination of hyperbaric therapy, the ketogenic diet, along with conventional chemotherapy and radiation, for example. Wow. So um, the pressures that we're using for the most part are deeper pressures. So somewhere between 2.0 and 2.4. Um, there is a clinic in Seattle or just outside of Seattle run by a naturopath named Paul Anderson. He does 1.3 to 1.5 ATA in his chambers, along with uh, a significant protocol that includes a number of different modalities, along with hyperbaric therapy, something called dicarboxylic, try that again, dicarboxylic acid, DCA, along with the ketogenic diet, ketone supplements, so lots of different modalities. So, you know, he doesn't have any data, like any randomized control data, but he's having oh. some good outcomes in his patients and so i don't disregard the potential for 1.3 in cancer um, but i i haven't had experience with it myself and i don't have the capacity to really do that so i often yeah. treat it the deeper pressures in combination mm -hmm. as a synergy one more point on cancer is that there's no evidence that hyperbaric therapy makes cancer grow that makes it worse that makes cancer return there's some data to support the opposite like a mild regressive effect Again, not a cure at all, but a synergistic approach. Yeah. So, um, so I'm always very careful, like you said in the beginning, hyperbaric therapy is not a treatment for cancer in and of itself. It is a synergistic approach with a multi-modality treatment being the most optimal, we think. There's not yeah. a lot of great data yet, but there's more coming. Um, and the keto world is very interesting, not only in cancer, to the ketogenic diet uh, with hyperbaric therapy for uh, for wound healing, for example, is very interesting. Uh, toleration of chemotherapy on the cancer side. So lots of very exciting things that we're seeing. No, fantastic. Um, so from an athletic point of view, if we go back to um, athletes looking for optimization, I mean, I've always struggled with the low VO2 max, just genetically not uh, gifted <laughs> with, with a very high VO2 max. Can I increase my VO2 max when I'm in a hyperbaric, even like a mild hyperbaric facility? Mm -hmm. um, if I have a protocol of treatments, is that going to increase my athletic well, ability, my ability to recover? The answer is that I can say at 2.0 for 60 treatments, what they've done in Israel, they're increasing VO2 max, hands down. 
And they're doing that by increasing the number of blood vessels that are supplying the heart, like I was chatting about before. We don't have the data to support its use in the mild chambers yet. My experience right now would say that there is the potential that you can do that. You may need to combine modalities to really see that effect. So some of the clinics and people that I'm working with, so I consult for clinics, I can consult with patients directly, I consult for, uh, for, for teams, for organizations as well. So some of, the da- some of the anecdotal data I'm getting so far is that if you combine hyperbaric therapy with another microcirculatory stimulus, mm-hmm. you may have the effect of the, with the mild chambers. That would be low-level light therapy, for example, uh, or that would also potentially be pulsed electromagnetic field technologies. Yes, so yeah. Those are yeah. the two that we're combining hyperbaric therapy and seeing some significant potential in their effect of VO2 max, but it's still very preliminary and uh, I can't say for sure, but, but very exciting. What about reco- you know, muscle recovery, muscle growth? Um, we, 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 we definitely know that angiogenesis is a part of it's creating right. blood vessels. Um, so the athlete who's trying to get optimum performance, should they be including a protocol of uh, hyperbaric medicine in the build-up when they're in the acute phase of the competition or in ah. the off-season? Yeah, good. That's a, good, that's a really good delineation. I, and I don't have a lot of data yet. Right? Well, I'm working with individual athletes, but what we're looking to do, given the research that's coming out, is ideally you do a VO2 max optimization protocol first, which would be anywhere between 40 and 60 hyperbaric sessions in the off-season when you're not awesome. actively training. And then yep. during your training time, uh, you would be doing hyperbaric therapy for recovery purposes. So not only are you increasing the amount of oxygen in circulation, but when you're pressurizing blood vessels, because we're pressurizing them in the chamber, you're also improving blood flow and lymphatic flow. So you can help with detoxification and recovery in that capacity. So you need to have all the detoxification machinery in good order. The challenge with elite athletes like yourself and others is that they deplete themselves because they train too much and they train too hard. So it's important that you're, uh, that you're factoring that into the equation, hopefully, on the recovery side. But hyperbaric therapy, because of that pressure that it's giving to the body, and we're working on what's called variable pressure protocol, so changing the pressure in the chamber to help with some of that blood vessel and lymphatic flow. And so uh, if you do that, you can help with the recovery of the workout you just did to help you get ready for the next, for example. And yep. then you've already optimized your VO2 max with that session protocol that you did before you started training actively. So right now, my recommendation, again, I'm not giving anybody individual recommendations here. I am a doctor, but I'm not playing one on this podcast. So please go see your doctor. You know, you can consult with me virtually. We can talk about my general ideas of what you'd like to do. Um, But do not take this as your own individual medical advice, okay? But in general, what I've been recommending is something of the effect of off-season training for VO2 max optimization, and then in-season active training for, uh, for recovery for the most part. So I um, heard on you when you were on uh, Ben Pakulski's um, podcast, Muscle Expert, uh, that it actually has detox implications also for the brain, which right. I've never heard of, that you could actually detox the brain. And that sometimes that's because I've noticed when I go into hyperbaric, uh, I come out very, very sleepy. Uh, and you talked about in that podcast, you, there are two sides to that. 
that uh, one being that you can actually, for an hour after the treatment, you have an extra oxygen carrying capacity because you've had all that oxygen in the plasma. Right. Uh, for about an hour after, so you can optimize your training. But on the other hand, a lot of us come out feeling very dopey and sleepy and probably not a, not a great time to train. What, what, what's going on there? Well, I think the first piece to mention is the detox. There are lymphatic blood, lymphatic vessels. So we have blood vessels in our body, and we have lymph vessels in our body. Lymph is how we detox our cells. So when cells produce energy, they produce a lot of garbage. That garbage needs to be taken by garbage truck to our liver to get detoxified and then expelled as stool, as urine, as sweat, etc. So there's lymphatic blood vessel, lymphatic vessels in our brain that allow that to happen. And we didn't know these vessels existed up until oh. about a year ago or so. And so we think hyperbaric therapy is causing a pressure change on the lymphatic vessels in the brain, helping with detoxification, just like it's doing for vessels outside of the brain. Now, as far as oxygen carrying capacity, uh, you do have an increased oxygen carrying capacity for about an hour after you get out of the chamber. Uh, that will dissipate quickly, but you can use it to your advantage, like you said, to train afterwards. You can also use it to your advantage inside of the chamber to do training in the chamber, depending on the type that you have. So like in a soft chamber, where there's very little risk, you can bring potentially other technologies inside of it um, and use those while you're getting hyperoxygenated, for example. Um, so that's pretty exciting, of course. In the deeper chambers, you can't do that because it's too much of a risk of the yeah. pressure and the oxygen, for yeah, example. Yeah. So um, that oxygen carrying capacity can be used uh, in the short term, like we talked about, or in the long term, you can build up that oxygen carrying capacity to help your VO2 max uh, over the long term. And increase your, your, your strength. Um, yeah. So where do you see, see doctors, to wrap up um, now coming to the end of our session, um, yes. where do you see hyperbaric going from a worldview? I mean, I, I, I would love to see a heck of a lot more clinics popping right. up. Um, obviously, as you've mentioned, the, the mild and the, the, the regulations around the, the, um, uh, the hard chambers, the medical grade facilities, the, the costs are prohibitive. Um, the cost for, for clients to come in, you're talking, you know, $300 a session around about New Zealand dollars uh, for the ones here. It's right. very prohibitive. So the mild hyperbaric facilities are, are the, you know, what's mostly accessible for people. Um, there is obviously some problems around that. Where do you see, like, where are all these studies going? And, sure. and is it going to spread around the world and be more available? I think you're going to see it in two ways. I think you're going to see it, uh, being developed as a, uh, a non-medical anti-aging, reverse aging, rejuvenation treatment that's mm -hmm. going to uh, be, a, be part of an integrative diagnostic and therapeutic suite of services. So I see that happening. That's going to happen. Um, and that's going to be at the hard chamber level. But I think at the soft chamber level, what I think you're going to see is as a result of that, the hard chamber, multi-place chamber uh, vehicle being more prominent out there, you're going to have a need for the soft chambers to deal uh, not so much in the anti-aging space, but more in the therapeutic space for neurocognitive reasons. And I also think that you're going to see more of the mild hyperbaric therapy integrated into other technologies, other care plans, not just hyperbaric therapy in a mild chamber. So that's extremely important. I think that's where it's going to be most effective. So I'm working with a company in Los Angeles, for example, uh, they're right now calling themselves the Remedy House, and they're looking for a recovery lounge where they're going to have yeah. um, 
numerous technologies that are all together, including hyperbaric therapy and sauna and others, that are going to be combined. So I think the, the way of mild hyperbaric therapy is in combination of other modalities. The way of hard hyperbaric, cham hyperbaric chamber is reverse aging, rejuvenation, anti-aging um, protocols. And I think you're going to see that kind of going sort of in, in parallel. And then there's going to be significant reasons to use both. And I, and I think I talk about both. I use both. I think there's a reason to use both. So I don't think that they're mutually exclusive in, in, in that case. I do think that they, there are some mutual exclu exclusions that are, need, that are necessary here, right? So yeah. those, if yeah. you have an infection, if you have a wound, if you have significant inflammation, like an autoimmune disease, for example, I don't recommend soft chambers most of the time. Right. Sometimes I will say for neuroinflammation, for brain inflammation, let's start off at the, some of the milder pressures, but then we need to go deeper to really see some significant benefit. Like I've had rheumatoid arthritis patients, for example, do very well at the deeper pressures. Yep. Um, I've had Lyme disease patients do pretty well at the milder pressures, but then you need to go deeper if you're actually going to start killing bugs instead right. of just dealing with some neuroinflammation. So they're mutually exclusive in some ways and not in others, I guess is the best way to say. But I, I think there's a utility for both. It's just it's a shame that it's not more accessible uh, for, for most people and it's very difficult for us to get anything but the, perhaps the mild facilities. Like in New Zealand, we have three hard facilities that I know of, Auckland and Christchurch hospitals. Right. But they're only funded for wounds and diabetic uh, wounds and, and gangrene and uh, very yeah, uh, and, and so, so you know, uh, a multiple sclerosis sufferer or a cancer sufferer, or, uh, no one else has access to these facilities ever. Um, right. And so, you know, the mild is the only option. And that's why it's good to understand what the, the mild can be used for and where its limitations lie. Um, and, you know, it, it's an ever-changing uh, area of medicine. Look, Dr. Scott, you've been absolutely wonderful today. You've been so generous with your time. You, you're one of the world's my leading experts. So it's been just, just a mind-blowing thing for me to have you as a guest to my show. My role here is just to get the information out. I really feel the more people that can hear it, uh, the better I think as a human race we are going to be. I don't mean that from an ego perspective at all. I really see that as um, hyperbaric medicine is a vehicle for rejuvenation, for, for health, uh, for optimization, and it also allows people to take that deeper dive, no pun intended, into their <laughs> health. And so my role here as an integrative guy, hyperbaric therapy is just a piece of that. It's a very, it's a synergistic piece. I call it the ultimate synergizer, the ultimate accelerator. And so take it as that, except if you've just had an acute injury, I can, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's, it's those things as well, but you know, just don't worry about a whole lot else. Just Try to get into a chamber if you can, um, yeah. and, and because it's going to stimulate your body's own natural healing capability. Absolutely. Um, so, Doctor, where can people get hold of you if they want, a, you know, individual, even virtual sure. consultations, or, you know, athletes or people that have had, you know, whatever happened to them? Yeah. How do they get in contact with you? So, yeah, I do education, advocacy, and consultation across the world, New Zealand included. And so I do that mostly through my own personal website called integrativehbot.com. The word mm -hmm. integrative and the letters H-B-O-T. You can also just type my name into Google, Scott Scher, M-D, mm -hmm. S-H-E-R-R, -R, and you'll find me there. I also sometimes tweet on Twitter at, at Dr. Scher, D-R-S-H-E-R-R. -R. If you just type in my name in Google, a lot of podcasts and a lot of uh, media that I've done will pop up. 
the funniest thing is like the one that's been seen the most is the first one that I did like five <laughs> years ago that I can't even look at without cringing. But, <laughs> but it's one from a local facility, a local uh, group here in the Bay Area. It's like, it's got like 40,000 downloads. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't <laughs> believe that's the one that everybody watches. But that's what I watch. So um, but they, yeah, we all have those interviews. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, at least it's a way, it's a vehicle for them to learn about it. Uh, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, and, all, all publicity is good publicity, really. <laughs> yes, and I just want to thank you for taking the time, uh, Lisa. It's, this is great. Uh, thank you so much. So much, excuse me. And um, I'm really happy that you connected with me, and I wish you the best of luck with your practice. Oh, thank you so much. I, I hope we can see you in New Zealand returning to here and, and perhaps uh, organize a meeting or a, um, a talk somewhere in one of our major cities. Wouldn't that be fantastic? You I never know. I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> All right, Dr. Sher, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, you have a great day. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.